0: Thanks for listening to the Grace Hill Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message. For more information about Grace Hill, follow us on social media at GraceHill901 or visit GraceHill901.com. Hey, so I want to extend my welcome uh, in addition to the welcome that you got from Randy and from Lindell. I want to extend my welcome to you this morning. Uh, my name is Jason. I'm the pastor here at Grace Hill, and it is a privilege uh, that you're here with us today. I met so many new faces uh, before the first service, in between services, got our 11 o'clock crowd here right now. This is exciting. I met many new faces uh, before this service. So I just want to thank you uh, so much for being here. Thank you for taking time out of your morning and being here. At Grace Hill. Uh, You've seen a bunch of our volunteers wearing these shirts that say you matter. And I want you to know that you matter to us. You matter to God. Thank you for being here this morning. how many of you guys love taking road trips? Anybody love taking road trips? I love taking road trips. I have in the recent years, now that we have four children, uh, air trips are a lot smoother than road trips, but road trips are cheaper than air trips. So we do a lot more road trips than we do air trips. And a few weeks ago, we made this kind of crazy last minute decision that we were going to take what I think will probably go down in the Stockdale you know, history books, uh, the most epic road trip we've probably Ever done? Uh, we decided very last minute, which is very unlike uh, my wife, especially, uh, to make an epic road trip to New York City. We ended up going up to New York and then dropping down to DC and hanging out in DC for a few days as well. But we made an epic road trip to New York City. When I mean epic, I mean we left at one thirty in the morning on a Wednesday morning, drove straight through about eighteen hours is how long it took us to get there. Straight through eighteen hours. Four kids and a Honda Odyssey. If you don't believe in God, the fact that we made it to New York in one piece should be evidence right there. That, you know, there is a God. We drove straight through. If you ever get the chance to drive to New York, I don't know about flying, I've never been, this was my first time, but if you don't know, if, if you've never been to New York, I cannot uh, uh, advise you enough to drive in at night. It is beautiful. The lights, you see it from a distance, it is absolutely gorgeous. And so, so we made this incredible road trip, and along the way, we had a little help. We had uh, Google Maps, Uh, couldn't have done it without Google Maps. We had Waze for all those uh, times when you get caught up in traffic and you don't know what's going on, you just plug up Waze, you know, pull up Waze, and it kind of helps you know where to go. Uh, We had, uh, Yelp was a really big help for us. I mean, you got to figure out where you're going to eat and got to read the reviews and see the menus. So we had some help along the way. And if we had not had the help that we had along the way, the journey would have not gone as well as what it did. And along the way, if we did not had the help to know how to get to our destination, we might have ended up in the wrong place or certainly had taken a lot longer to get where we were going than what we had planned time-wise to get there. And for each one of us in our lives, you have, may have taken a road trip this summer or you may have a big road trip coming up this fall. We're thinking about going out to Phoenix, Arizona and visiting some friends over Thanksgiving because our kids get a week off for Thanksgiving this year in Collierville schools, amen? And so we're thinking about making another epic. We said, hey, we did 18 hours. What if we did 23? Let's try that. Let's see how that goes. And so, so we, but, but for each one of us on this journey of life that we're on, we, we have these markers along the way. And there's a question that for each one of us, I think no matter what stage of life you're in, if you're, if you're a teenager and you're trying to figure out drama of school and math homework and the new teacher that you got this year that you were really hoping to not get and what makes them tick, or if, if you're an adult, no matter what season of life you're in, I think every one of us, we're trying to answer a very simple, basic question that has some very, very profound answers to it, and that is this. Am I headed in the right direction? I just want to know, am I headed in the right direction? And for me, you know, when when we've got to drive across town, we can plug in something on our phone to, to the GPS, and it can get us there. But a lot of times in life, it can feel like, well, maybe we're gonna try this and see how this works out. Maybe we're gonna try this and see how this works out. And the psalmist today that we're gonna look at, Psalm 131, it gives us three just mile markers along the way to know, hey, we're on the right path. We're on the right journey. We're headed in the right direction. And these three mile markers don't guarantee that there won't be any hard things come your way as we're gonna look at here in just a minute. Uh, matter of fact these three mile markers almost guarantee the process to some degree will have some pain associated with it but but my hope for you today is that as we're on this journey together and for those of you who are following jesus as we're pursuing jesus together we get a little bit of clarity to know hey i'm on the right path i'm headed in the right direction and the good news about today's psalm is it really is for anyone. If you're a skeptic and you're thinking about, you know, I, I kind of want to follow Jesus, I'm, I'm intrigued by it, or if you're a skeptic here today, I thought about this in the first service during the message, if you're a skeptic here today, what we look at in the psalms today may be one of the reasons why you're a skeptic, because you've seen God's people either up close or at a distance, and you haven't seen this in their life, and it's caused some skepticism in you. You may be a passionate follower of Jesus, but you just feel like kind of that hamster on that hamster wheel. You know, I just cannot seem to get any traction moving forward. You see, this is why, to me, this is important today, and this is why we're going to take time in the message today to, to journey through these three verses in the Psalms, In Psalm 131 is this, is that I don't want, for any of you, I don't want you to look back in your life, over your life the last five years. And to feel like you're in the exact same place in your relationship with Jesus that you were five years ago. That you haven't grown, that you haven't matured, you haven't learned how to handle these certain situations that come up. You haven't learned how to navigate certain areas of your life with Jesus that that you just feel like you're in the same spot that you were five years ago. And I don't want that for you. I want you to feel like, hey, here's a marker. I've made some progress. Hey, I'm, I'm concerned. I'm confused. I've got a question. Okay, I see this marker. It must mean I'm headed in the right direction. So if you've got a Bible, I want you to open it up with me, or if you've got your Bible app, you can open up your phone, go to the YouVersion Bible app. Uh, in the bottom right corner of the YouVersion Bible app, you'll see a, a little tab that says more, and then it's going to bring up another tab that says events. You can click on that, and it'll pull up Grace Hill Church if your location services are turned on, and, and then from there, you can track with us this morning. It's, it's our digital bulletin uh, on the YouVersion Bible app, so track along with us. And what I want to do is I want to I break each of these verses down because each one of these verses contain a little marker. They contain a mile marker for our life. And so I want to do, I want to read the verse. I want to I give you the point, give you the mile marker, and then we're going to break it down. We're going to talk about it. So the psalmist writes, so this is David writing the psalm. He says this, my heart is not proud. Lord, my eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. I want to read it one more time. My heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. The first mile marker, the first little point on the map that we get, if we're making progress on this in this journey in this life, the first one we get is this: is that I know my lane. I know my lane. You say, well, what, that, what does that really mean? You see, the psalmist here, he gets right to the heart of the matter. What does he say? He says, my heart is not proud. And he gives us two images here. He gives us an internal image and he gives us an external image. The two images are, he gives us the image of the heart and he gives us the image of the eye. But the psalmist knows this, and for many of you, you know this as well, is that everything flows out of the heart. Everything begins and it ends with the heart. Everything in life starts, finds its place, gives life or gives pain from the heart. You see, and why David started with the heart here is because this, is that if you have a humble heart, you'll have eyes that aren't haughty. If you have a humble heart, you won't concern yourself with matters that are too great for you. If you have a humble heart, You'll be more sensitive and more open to the pain and the progress in your journey and in your relationship with Jesus. The psalmist starts with what is most important. My heart is not proud. And here's here's what's amazing to me about the the author, the writer of this psalm. If you know anything about the Old Testament, if you know anything about uh, the story of David, if there was anybody in all of Scripture, any human being in all of Scripture that could say that he concerns himself with matters that are great, that are important, that he could insert himself into certain situations, it was David. Why? Because David was nothing but a shepherd boy who became king. He was the most powerful man. And King David said got a humble heart. My eyes do not, the, the, the idea here of, of, of uh, haughty is this idea of, of, of looking down upon. My eyes, they're, they're not looking down upon people. I, I don't concern myself with matters that are too great for me. The psalmist here, he knows his lane. He knows where he ought to be, He knows how he ought to be operating and he's allowed the Lord to cultivate a humble heart. See, and I want you to hear me on this, is that that God wants you to be humble. It's a painful reality, but God wants you to be humble and humility matters to God. Humility in our lives, humility in our heart, it matters to God. I want you to see a couple of scriptures here. Proverbs 16, five says this. The Lord detests all the proud of the heart. 1 Peter 5, 6-7 through seven says this, Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. I want you to know this, that, that being humbled isn't a one-time event. Being humbled is not a a once in a a lifetime moment. It's not a calendar event that you circle and you say, okay, I was humbled right here. I had a humble heart. This is it. The painful part of having a humble heart, of of being able to embrace this, is that being humbled is not a a one-time event. It is a daily process. It is a daily process of God cultivating humility into your life towards others, towards himself, towards the circumstances that are in your life. And unfortunately, the reality for many of us is this, is that humility rarely develops in our lives apart from difficult seasons. There is pain that you're gonna go through, there is pain that you have been through. And those seasons of incredible challenge, of difficulty, of chaos, of pain, are often the ground that God uses to cultivate and to grow a humble heart in your life. Don't skip those painful seasons. Don't skip the lessons that God wants you to learn in the midst of the pain. You see, David suffered some incredibly difficult seasons. Some of those seasons were due to his own decisions that he made in his own life. And and some of those decisions were decisions that he made. He inserted himself into places that he shouldn't have been. He made decisions that he knew he shouldn't have made. Some of those decisions, some of, some of those circumstances that David could find himself writing a passage like this in were seasons that the Lord was using to bring about humility in him. Some of those same seasons can happen in your life and will happen in your life. Where God uses life to bring you from maybe a hard heart towards a humble heart. And in those seasons, going through those seasons, David came through those seasons understanding the lane that he was supposed to run in. I want to say this with love and, and tenderness and care as much as I can. Some of you think that the entire world rests on the decisions that you are going to make in the morning. And I want to give you a little hope. They do not. You've built the wall around your heart and your life so much of pride and arrogance that the decision you make in your family, the decision you make at work, even the decisions you can make in church, it's like the whole world hangs in the balance of those decisions. And the good news for you and the good news for me is by and large, the world does not rest on any of the decisions that we will make in this room. Oh, the decisions, making wise decisions, making counseled decisions, making smart decisions, making decisions that are in the line with the character of God is a part of maturing as a follower of Jesus. But I have fallen into this trap where I think the decisions that I make on Monday are going to impact the world on Tuesday. And David, King David, understood his lane. My heart is not proud. Lord, my eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with matters that are too great for me. You say, well, why is humility important? I mean, my boss at the office is a jerk. I've got a family member and they're 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 arrogant. They're 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 mean, they're proud. They they make prideful decisions. They brag about themselves. And all the people that I know that are that are arrogant and proud, they all seem to get ahead in life. So why should I cultivate humility in my life? Well, I'll just give you one practical reason. Arrogant people aren't a lot of fun to be around. I mean, let's just be honest. I mean, the the people that I know in my life that, that are the super prideful, arrogant people are not typically the people that I just want to spend a lot of time with. But the more important issue behind why you need to have a humble heart, why God wants to cultivate a humble heart is this. I've come back to this study almost every single week in this series that Beth Moore put out there on the Psalms of Ascent, and it's been so, so incredibly powerful and refreshing for me. If you wanna take any of this further, you can can just pick that study up and and just, just take a deep dive in it. But she makes this quote, and it is so powerful. Humility is the truest sign of intimacy with God. Humility is the truest sign of intimacy with God. Because when you have a humble heart, You understand your lane. You understand the responsibility that you have as it relates to God and you understand the responsibility that God has as it relates to man. When you have a humble heart, you understand your place in the world. David says here, you understand your lane and you stay in your lane. And I want this so bad for you in your life. I want a lot of things for you I want you to have an incredible marriage. I want you, if you're a parent, I want you to to be the best parent. I want you to be the parent that, that your kids look up to and they say, man, I want to be just like mom. I want to be just like dad. I want my relationship with Jesus to model their relationship with Jesus and the most beautiful picture that your kids could have of Jesus could come from you. I want those things. I want you to be successful in your career. I want you to make lots of money and give lots of that money to the church so that we can advance the mission that He's called us to. I mean, I want those things for you. You know, the first hour didn't get that joke either. They just kind of, it was like, I, you know, that's part of having a humble heart. I mean, I'm just saying. Um, I want those things for you. But you know what I want more for you? I want you to know God. I want you to feel known by Him, because humility is a true sign, is a clear sign of intimacy with God in your life. Psalmist goes on and he gives us our second mile marker, our second road map. I mean, our second dot on the road map, if you will. The first one is that we know our lane. The second one is this. He writes this in verse two. He says this, but I have calmed and quieted myself. I'm like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child. And I underline this. I don't even have time to get into it. We may come back next year and do a sermon series around this word, this idea. But I underline this in my Bible. Wrote out all the references. I mean, it just it just wrecked me this week. The psalmist writes this. I am content. Now, I don't know what kind of kid you're raising in your house, but I, it would be real hard for me to say that my children are always content. But I think it's a beautiful picture that the psalmist writes here of intimacy with God, of maturing in your faith with God. So, the first point on the map that we get is that we know our lane. The second point on the map that we get when you know, hey, I'm, I'm headed in the right direction is this, is that my dependence has changed. My dependence has changed. You see, the Hebrew word for the word uh, weaned means to complete or ripen. And Hebrew children were typically weaned around the age of three or four years old. And the reason why it was three or four is because they were going to move into a new season of life. And they could not carry what they were previously dependent on, in their life, into this new season. So they had to be weaned away from their mothers so that they could enter into this new season of life. They needed a new dependence for a new season. And again, I just want to speak, as if, you, if, if this is your church or if you're even thinking about making Grace Hill your church, I want to speak to you. If you're here for the first time and, or, or you, you know, you're like, hey, I'm just checking stuff out, you know, I'm not really speaking to you right here directly in this moment. But, but for our church family, this is what I want to speak into you. I don't want to come as, as humble as I possibly know how to this morning. This is probably my greatest fear for our church. And as I see people's lives and I I get the phone calls and the text messages and the emails and I have the conversations in the hallway, is that so many of us in this church are still so dependent on things from the past? We are still so dependent and we've not gone through the painful process of being weaned away from our former dependence. Some of those are good things. Some, some of the things that we have grown accustomed to be dependent on are our friends and certain relationships, but, but some of us have, have grown so accustomed to being dependent on things that are not healthy, addictions, habits. There could be some relationships that are in your life that you have become so dependent on you cannot imagine breathing without those relationships and they are toxic for your soul. And if you have ever tried to wean a child away from something, whether it was a nursing child or a child that took a bottle or maybe just a little later, maybe it was a pacifier or a a boppy or whatever, you know, whatever word you want to put around it. It is usually not an easy process. How about that word of encouragement for all you new and expectant moms? It is usually not an easy process to wean someone from what they were once dependent on into a new season of dependence. My fear for so many of us is that we've gotten so comfortable being dependent on things that that either God never intended for us to be dependent on, or we've gotten so comfortable being dependent on things that are holding us back, that are good things, but they're holding us back from being able to move into this new season of our walk with God. And the reason why we've gotten so comfortable with it and we haven't paid the price to go through the pain is because it's painful, We don't want to make the changes. We don't want to get involved in the life group. We don't want to serve on a Sunday morning or in some area of the life of the church. Why? Because we've just gotten comfortable with where we are. But can you imagine how awkward it would be? And I have permission to share this this idea because I didn't want to embarrass my daughter. So I asked her for permission if I shared this made-up story. Could could you imagine how embarrassing it would be for my eighth-grade daughter as she walked the halls... Of eighth grade for the first time this week. And at lunchtime, everybody went to their lockers and they grabbed their lunchboxes and they carried them and they're, you know, talking about, and they sit down at the table and they start unpacking their lunch. If my eighth grade daughter reached into her lunchbox and pulled out a baby bottle and started chugging away. You see, Emma was once very dependent on the bottle, it was her source of nutrition. In a lot of ways, it was a source of comfort and security and safety. But mom and dad had to make a really painful decision. That she had to move from being dependent on the bottle to sitting in a high chair and grabbing food with her hands and, and shoving it in her mouth. Because we knew that Emma had to go from dependence on one thing in a season of her life to moving into dependence upon something else. And she would not be able to go into this new season of her life if she remained dependent. And for many of you, for many of you, I really believe that the Lord has been trying to move your heart and your life into this new season of dependence. But for the last three to five years maybe, maybe it's six months, maybe it's 18 months, I don't know how long it's been. You keep going from this paycheck to paycheck. You keep going from bad relationship to bad relationship. You keep going from from one fight to another fight. You keep moving from relational drama to relational drama. And you're frustrated because you think, why can't the other person just fix the problem? I know what's wrong. They need to take care of it. They need to change. And what could actually be happening in your life is God is trying to strip your dependence of your security and your finances. Or God could be trying to strip you of dependence of that unhealthy relationship or that unhealthy habit. And in your life, you're seeing this and you're just thinking, man, these people won't get their stuff together. Man, if my job just paid me more money. Man, if these bills just hadn't come in the way that they've been coming in. And God the whole time has been saying, you've been so dependent on this one thing and I am trying to strip your dependence and move you into a new season of dependence on one thing and that is me. Dependence. Rarely, this, this idea of being stripped of our dependence, of being weaned rarely happens outside of a, a painful, painful process. But, but here's what I know to be true: is that God cares more about your maturity than He does your happiness. God cares more about your maturity than He does your happiness. And while it was enormously painful for all four of my children to go through this weaning process and it would have been much easier as a father to let them stay happy with what they were currently dependent on. I cared more about their maturity than I did their happiness. And let's just be honest, parents in the room to complete the circle Cared more about their maturity than my own happiness as well. And for you in your life, here this morning, God loves you, but God cares way more about your maturity as you're following him than he does your happiness and your circumstances in life. I want to give you one illustration, and then I've got to just land the plane, just a personal. my own life of being weaned from something that I was so comfortable with and so dependent on and I want you to hear me from the onset of it this is not me standing up on the mountaintop shouting down this is me saying hey I've been in this journey I've been in this process for the last three years and it is hard and it is painful I began to notice about three and a half years ago, maybe four years ago, I, I'm not for sure exactly on the time, but, but several years ago that, that, that my relationship with God just didn't feel what it needed to be. It just, it just, didn't have, it, it just wasn't working the way that I had hoped it would be. It was kind of this moment, like this wake-up call of like, man, something's just not right. And so I began to look at my life, and, and one of the things I began to notice was that my, my time with the Lord was very inconsistent. My quiet time, reading scripture, praying, meditating on his word, whatever it may be. It was very, very inconsistent. I, I might go three or four days, and I've been in—I've a, a professional minister. I've been in full-time ministry for 15 years. So again, this is, this, I, I'm standing up on stage in front of people, and I'm noticing that this is a, 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 an area of my life that needs some growth. So I began to try to analyze, okay, why, why is this? What's going on, you know, and everything? And, and I began to notice something about my life is that my, my sleep patterns, and you're going, oh, man, where's he going with this? This is not scripture. This is not gospel. I'm going to bring it back in just a minute. So roll with me for just a second. I began to notice my sleep patterns were unhealthy. See, I'd bought into this idea, and for you it may work, it just didn't for me. But I had bought into this idea that I was more productive, more creative late into the evenings. What it really meant was that my mornings just got crashed. And that many days I was waking up late, many days I was oversleeping because I'd stayed up to one or two o'clock in the morning the night before being productive or creative. And my kids were getting pushed out the door at the very last minute for school. I mean, it was just, it was unhealthy. So I began to learn about keystone habits. If you don't know what keystone habits are, keystone habits are the idea that, okay, I want to read my Bible more often, but that's not the habit that you need to build into your life more than likely. It's likely three or four steps back from that to create the margin so that you can begin to invest in your walk with Jesus more intentionally. And I began to notice that a keystone habit for me was I needed to begin to wake up earlier and more consistently. And I heard, had a friend of mine tell me that he had trained his body, is what he said. I've trained my body to wake up at 4.30 in the morning every day. And so I said, okay. I said, how did you do it? He said, I started in 30-minute increments, just backing up, just 30-minute increments. So if I was used to going to bed at 11, I now went to bed at 10.30, And instead of getting up at 7, I would now get up at 6.30. So that's what I started doing. I started saying, okay, I'm not going to go to bed at 1. I'm going to go to bed at 12.30. Instead of getting up at 8 and rushing out the door, I'm going to start setting an alarm for 7.30 and getting up. And over the next six months, nine months, a year, I began to just train my body to get up 30 minutes early, 30 minutes earlier, 30 minutes earlier. It meant I had to go to bed earlier as well. And I'm telling you, I've turned into an old man. You know what a win for me is now? A win for me is, I and my grandparents A win for me is going to bed before the ten o'clock news comes on. I am excited about it, man. First service got that. Y'all didn't follow with that one very well. You'll get it later. But 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 I I get excited when I get to in bed at like nine fifty. I'm like yes. But here's what's happened in my life is that I as I have trained my body to get up earlier, my dependence on the Lord has shifted from occasional to every day. And my habit of reading God's word and meditating on his word and praying every day, and again, this is not me standing up here saying, look at me, this is me standing up here saying, if a lazy dude who went to bed at one or two o'clock in the morning and pushed his kids out the door for school every day, trained himself painfully over the last three years, you can do it. You can begin to change your dependence painfully change your dependence on the things and the ways of God. And this is a true story. A few weeks ago, it was just one of those mornings, you know, it happens every once in a while, you know, you, you, you do oversleep or, or you know, I, got, I think it was like I got up and the coffee pot wasn't set and I was 30 minutes behind already because of that because it takes a long time and then like a kid woke up and was distracted and just, you know, and like two o'clock hit and something was just wrong. Something was just out of place and it dawned on me that morning in the busyness of all morning trying to get everybody where they needed to go and all that. I had not stopped and paused and read my Bible, prayed, meditated on God's word. And I just right there like two o'clock in the afternoon I just stopped. I said, okay, I'm gonna do it right now. I'm gonna do it right now because my dependence has, has been trained to change for this season of life that I'm in right now. And I want to encourage each one of you here today to begin to take those steps. You see, sometimes God has to wean us away from good things so that we can become dependent on greater things. The last thing is this, and the worship is gonna come and we're gonna close. The psalmist writes, In verse 3, he says this, Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. And the last little point on the map, if you will, is this, is that your hope is rightly placed. You don't have hope in your job, in your career. You don't have hope in your circumstances. You don't have hope in your finances. You don't have hope in, in, in your relationships. You have hope in Jesus in the midst of your finances. You have hope in Jesus in the midst of your circumstances. You have hope in Jesus in the midst of your relationships, in the midst of your career. That your hope is rightly placed in Jesus. And if those three areas of your life, if you can identify, man, I, I know my lane. I, I, I know my lane. And, and over the last six months, year, three months, 18 months, five years, whatever it may be, my, my dependence has changed. God's been going through the painful process of weaning me away of what I once was dependent on to something I'm now, it's a new dependence. And my hope is rightly placed. This will be three areas in your life that as you're trying to journey through and struggle through and wade through the circumstances of life, you will know I'm headed in the right direction. So I want to challenge each of you this morning with just a simple question, but the, the, the outcome of it can be very, very profound, and that is this, is that what would your life, how would your life be different in 30 days if you began to say, okay, I want God to help me find my lane. That's going to involve some pain because it's going to involve being humbled. I want my dependence to change. It could be an instant thing or it could be like me. It's been a three-plus-year journey. You see, mature faith is not add water and grow. Sometimes it's cultivating the ground, cultivating the ground, cultivating the ground over and over and over again. And what would your life look like in 30 days if your hope was rightly in place, if it was rightly aligned with the things of God. Let's pray together.